Thongs were rich, weren't they? Well, they're all rich. God is our helper. He's our shield. He is our redeemer. And that's what we need now, right? Amen. We just need to be reminded. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We ask, Lord, you would give us understanding through this text. Lord, society at large has been ruining your view of gender roles. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us clarity to fulfill what you have called us to do, made in your image. We pray, Father, you would, that uh, your spirit would take the things of Christ, Lord, that there would be in our hearts confession and repentance of uh, abandoning roles in whatever measure we may do it, Lord. We pray, Father, you would give us strength to fulfill what you have called us to do. We pray, Lord, you would uh, move on our hearts. If there are those who don't know you, there's those who are stuck in their sin and need to be freed. There is a Redeemer. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this sermon is Glorifying Christ Through Fulfillment of Gender Roles and Relationships. Glorifying Christ Through Fulfillment of Gender Roles and Relationships. The Bible is very clear about gender roles. And what we're doing is as we're going through 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is going to address it. He speaks to a people that he, he knows that they know, Genesis 1, 26 to 27, which reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27, this pivotal uh, verse says, God created man in his own image. And this is the basis. This is the design. This is the purpose that God has created us. He says, he's created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And in its distinctions, notice what he says. Male and female, he created them. Now, why do I say this? Well, make no mistake, our society's preoccupation with the conversation regarding a rejection of traditional male and female roles are simply, as simply social constructs, is in fact what that really is, the spiritual diagnosis of this rejection of male and female gender roles is a full-blown display of man's war with God. Rejection of the nuclear family, rejection of two genders as championed by the LGBTQIA community, and a rejection of marriage is destructive on an individual level as well as a societal level. We even know countries such as Italy and Japan are quickly losing their population as, as their societies no longer hold the nuclear family of husband and wife and children as the archetypal model. The unbelieving world rejects the so-called, so-called, 
They call it societal constructs. That's the language of the sociologists in college. Societal constructs. We say it is the design of God. Of male and female genders and roles. And sadly, what's happening is this deconstruction has also infiltrated many mainstream so-called evangelical churches. There's too much confusion and men will not stand up and hold to the doctrines of what Christ has called us to do. A failure of the church to teach and uphold biblical gender roles and relationships hurt our witness before the world and disrupts God's intended purpose and blessing. It is in fact... Rebellion and his sin before a holy God who has designed us to be male and female to image forth his glory. Christ's word is very clear about gender roles and relationships. It is only in confession and repentance, then obedience to his design, can we fulfill our God-intended purpose and bring him glory. And I'm going to read the text. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've been in 1 Corinthians for quite some time. Starting in verse 2, we'll go to verse 16. He says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. Every man has something on his head while praying or prophesying, disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying, disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, and the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man has not created, was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Notice he says, however in the Lord neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no practice, nor have the churches of God. In this passage, Paul discusses the absolute crucial reasons of holding to biblical gender roles and relationships. 
Now, this is not the only passage on gender roles and relationships. And admittedly, it is talking mostly about women here because of the occasion of what is happening in 1 Corinthians. There are many passages, especially in Ephesians 5, which is the classic text, that not only are women to submit to their husbands lovingly as unto the Lord, but husbands are to love their wives and shepherd their wives and live in a way that is sacrificial and understanding to them. So it is not a a dictatorial uh, rolling over of the wife, but rather it is a loving, sacrificial giving of his life for her. This text uh, emphasizes application to believing sisters in the Lord, but here we have application for all. So my preaching point this morning is, God gave this passage to you this morning so you would glorify Christ through your glad fulfillment of biblical gender roles and relationships. You would glorify Christ through your glad fulfillment of biblical gender roles and relationships. Now, all of us, um, like when we look at that, we go, well, I'm not a homosexual or I haven't uh, become, I'm not a I haven't changed my role over or anything like this. All of us, in some sense, because of our fallenness, have messed up, have sinned with our roles that God has given us. And what do I mean by that? Whether it be a a confusion of gender roles or whether it be men who are not leading in love to their families or women who are not submitting in love to their families, to their uh, husbands, We have all sinned in this way and God has called us to love one another and to seek after imaging forth his glory in our marriages, in our families, in our single lives. And so how do you do this? He says, to be clear, this is in the spheres of marriages, families, and the church. I don't see it here in the sphere of employment, okay? It's not saying you can't have a woman boss. I don't see that. I don't see it in the text. I do see it in the spheres of marriages, families, and the local church. This seems to be the clearest context. He says, uh, Paul says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything. That apparently the Corinthian church asked about specific, a specific conflict regarding genders that was happening. And he, they asked Paul to declare what God would have them do with their lives. Paul says to, that they, they are to hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. The word there for traditions, sometimes it was used in a negative sense where people would add things for them to do that were not scriptural. But here it's used in a positive sense. He's saying uh, these are to be this divinely inspired teaching, which is the case I'm giving here. I am giving you what God desires of your life in regards to gender roles. And while the Corinthian church held to right doctrine, there were many ways that they did not live in right doctrine. God would not have you, brothers and sisters. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God would not have you simply to say you're a believer and not live it out. One major way was a confusion in misunderstanding gender roles and relationships So here in this longer text, God gives us five compelling reasons for you to glorify Christ through your glad fulfillment of biblical gender roles and relationships. And the first one, and he gives the biggest one. This is what I think is the biggest one. 
Usually in an argument or in a case that you're arguing, you would leave your strongest argument till the end. In his, in his argument, the biggest one is fulfill God's gender roles because it mirrors the Godhead. And when I say Godhead, if you're unfamiliar with this term, what I mean is the triune Godhead. That is the Trinity, that it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One in essence, three in persons. And so what Paul is arguing is when you fulfill your roles, what you are doing is you're imaging forth, you're making much, you're allowing the world to see exactly what God is like. And so by your fulfillment of these roles... You either add to the witness so that folks can see, or you detract from it. He says, I want you to understand. This is a teaching which all should understand. The truth to what Paul was about to say was supposed to set the thinking of gender roles for the Corinthian church all right. But application, by application, this was to set gender roles all right in every Christian mind's in perpetuity. All are under this authority, every single one of us, in many different spheres of life. So this ought not be a new concept. He says that Christ, and there are three different authorities that he discusses. Now, by the way, we all know what authority is. All of us do. The only time we question authority is when we don't like it. In fact, our society here is trying to abolish authority, trying to deconstruct authority in this world. Do I have to remind you? Do you have to see the news to understand that? But God tells us there are these authorities. He says that Christ is the head of every man. Christ is the head of every man. And what he's saying here is of believers and unbelievers, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer, you should be following Christ. If you're an unbeliever and you never turn to Christ in this life, Jesus says, Paul says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So whether it is recognized or not, there is this authority of Christ being declared. And you need to understand this. So all of us are under Christ. Every man and woman and child's destiny is determined by the response in this life to this statement. Rejection of submission to Christ, rejection of his authority in this life will lead to eternal doom. Then he moves on. And the man is the head of a woman. In like manner, rejection of women's submission. And when I say submission, I don't mean subjugation. Please understand. I don't mean subjugation. Subjugation is where a woman cannot share her ideas or, or a man does not take her counsel or a woman can't share what she wants to say or she... Or sometimes the husband will say, you need to do this, and it's obviously sin. That is not what biblical submission is. What, or that the woman is inferior in intelligence or in ability. That is not what submission is. And this is why Paul brings in that it mirrors the triune Godhead. Why? Because God the Father and Christ the Son are equal in essence. Equal. 
They all have the attributes of the one God. And yet they are two in persons. The roles are very distinct. It is incorrect to say that the Father died on the cross. It is the Son that died on the cross. How did the, why did the Son die on the cross? He did it in willing submission to the Father. Not because he was inferior to the Father, or he lacked power, or he lacked intelligence or design, but Jesus Christ, in his full understanding of his role as the second person of the Trinity voluntarily said, the father said, I will choose those and I will bring them in. Those who would come to me, those who would be redeemed, I will choose them. And Christ says, I will pay for them. Father, you choose them. The son says, I will pay for them and I will do this voluntarily in submission to your will. This is why Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Then the spirit comes and this, and this triune economy goes and he regenerates and he saves people by the new birth. All this to say that we understand authority. It does not mean subjugation. It does not mean inequality. It simply means this is the economy. And when I say economy, this is the administration of how the family should work. So he says, the man is the head of the woman. In like manner, rejection of women's submission to her husband leads to the destruction of families, destruction of marriages, and even churches. And we know this. If one person is going one way and another person is going another way and there is no leeway, there is no give, there is no compromise, you know divorce is on the line. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. And so he says, and God is the head of Christ. Again, here he's affirming, not only is that Christ is the head of every man, not only that the man is the head of every woman, we're, he's teaching us these, these uh, layers of authority, and now he's saying God is the head of Christ. Jesus said many times in the gospel, I did not come to do my will, but thine. I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father's. I voluntarily give my life for the sheep. Christ's voluntary, voluntary display of submission. Ladies, listen to this. Christ's voluntary submission in the motivation is the uh, Christ's voluntary display of submission to the Father is the motivation, power, and model for you. Yes, you can, by God's grace. Follow. Sometimes a foolish man. Knowing that I am following God himself. Now, women, that as you voluntarily submit to your husbands, that you, disp you display the submission of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the, uh, and the relationship of the Son of God to the Father. It's not because of a lack of intelligence, ability, or aptitude. And men, please understand this. That if you are not, this, is, this absolutely has you in line. If you are not shepherding your home. If you don't know what's going on in your home. If you're either on one side heavy handed. Or on another side non-existent or unloving. 
then you bring dishonor to God the Father. Why? Because God the Father is not like that. And so the question becomes, before we even talk about coverings, I know everybody wants to talk about, let's talk about coverings. I want to know about coverings, Angela. Where do you stand on coverings? Should we wear hats? I'm not talking about that. Paul says first, it pictures the triune God. Amen? It goes much higher than this. How are you picturing and displaying the relationship within the triune Godhead? It goes beyond simple do's and don'ts. So number one, fulfill God's gender roles because it mirrors the Godhead. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Consult with them before you make a decision to buy a brand new truck. Consult with them! Okay? She might know something about the bills. Right? Consult with them before you make a big decision. Right? I tell you what. Wives, just tell, tell me if this is not true. The more considerate and loving you are to your wife, the husband is to the wife, isn't it easier for the wives to submit? Is there an amen? No? You guys are so quiet. I'm not trying to start fights, okay? I'm just going to talk reality, right? So because it mirrors the Godhead. Secondly, because fulfill God's gender roles because rejection humiliates you. That's the point of this part, verses 4 to 6. Rejection of the roles will humiliate you. Every man has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. So either he's praying on the outside or he is proclaiming the, uh, the revealed word of God. He's, it disgraces his head. And what Paul is referring to is the local Corinthian custom of head coverings. Head coverings at the time were a local symbol of submission. Notice verse 10. Uh, he says here in verse 10. Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Okay. In that time of society, a man wearing a head covering during prayer was seen as him being submissive to his wife, as him reversing the roles. And the Bible says it's actually a disgrace. Now for us, we'll be like, okay, he's just wearing a hat. It's no big deal. For them, it's actually reversal of roles. The word disgraces means to shame. It would be a humiliation for him. It would be as shameful as a man praying or preaching publicly about the glories of Christ while wearing a sundress. That's what it would be like. On the one hand, you're speaking the glories of Christ and on the other hand, you're, you're, you're mocking the authority of Christ by wearing a dress. In that culture, it was an obvious and public, it was a public attempt at role reversal. It was a shame to him. And this is what Paul is addressing. In verse 5, he says, But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. So then the opposite is this. In the Greco-Roman times of Corinth, the, uh, the women would wear a veil. And just like in the wedding ceremony, we all love wedding ceremonies. My wife still watched... Uh, she still likes to watch, say yes to the dress. And we wait for that moment. Are you saying yes to the dress? Yes. And, and all the girls in my family go, ah, 
I go, this happens all the time, guys. What are they happy about? They're happy about the fitting of the dress, and then they put this veil on. Do you guys know what the veil is about? The veil is about saving her beauty for her husband and not for others. Isn't that wonderful? So when you have a wedding and you lift the veil, that's supposed to be a symbol of I'm giving myself to my husband, right? In love, and I'm only sharing this part of me with him. It's actually a beautiful symbol, isn't it? In Corinth, worshiping and ministering while her head was covered stated her devotion and submission to her husband and her commitment to God. So publicly, as you saw that, you go, she's a, she says she's promised to her husband and to her God. It would be very much like a wedding ring that you would wear. At the time, but what was happening is at the time there was an abuse on women. In the, in the culture, there was an abuse on women. Okay? And so what was happening, as Justice as oftentimes does, in history, there's also always a pendulum swing of effects. So the women were treated as second-class citizens in the Greco-Roman culture. They were often sold. They were often traded. They were not respected. Many times they couldn't hold property. Uh, in the Jewish culture at that time, they would uh, create any different way so they could divorce their wife and leave them as a pauper. And so what, what would happen is, uh, in the Greco-Roman world, at the time of Corinth, there was actually a very strong feminist movement at the time. What they would do in Corinth, and by the way, this swing, right, the swing of overcorrecting here, the swing is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Right? It's when mankind does not want to take what gender roles are supposed to be from God himself. And so we're left in the darkness unless we look at God's word. We're left in the darkness and we argue for our rights or we argue for our privileges and we, we want to subjugate the other side. That's exactly what's happening now. And so what happens is there was this feminist movement and they were, a lot of the women were in protest. They were taking off their veils and they were cutting their hair like men. And what that was saying is they were making a public, political, social statement that they are rejecting gender roles. That's exactly what they were doing. Today, attacking marriage as an attack on their careers, it's the same thing. It's likened on today. Uh, today, people attack marriage. Be, uh, uh, the feminists will attack marriage because it's an attack on their careers. Or now, uh, one uh, famous uh, athlete who was an uh, Olympic medalist swimmer sta- sa- stated that I would have never gotten my medal if I, had, if I had to have my kids. So she was equating, well, I would rather have this medal than have my kids. That's exactly what happened. Today, women leave homes and refuse to care for their children. And there's, it, it, it's awful. They practice polyamory or they would go and live with another man and have an appearance. Sometimes they, or they would change their appearance to look like a man and they would throw away all signs of their femininity. 
Some of those women influenced by the feminist movements of the time refused to cover their heads. And what was a statement of commitment to God and their husbands by covering their heads was now, by their refusal, a statement of alignment with the feminist movement. It would be likened to wearing a abortion t-shirt or some other feminist t-shirt while praying. Again, the cover is not the issue. Much like meat. Remember we talked about meat. The cover was not the issue. But it was a rebellion against God's designed gender roles. Though they all wore robes at a time, they, were, they all still wore clear distinctions of male and female. She said, disgraces her head. It shames the same word. For, one is, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. And now Paul draws it even farther. He says, the woman whose head is shaved. This is a woman with a shaved head was either in that culture... Okay, was either an extreme feminist or a temple prostitute. Someone who was dedicated to the temple. And then the sailors from Corinth, remember Corinth was a port town. And all the sailors would come off the ship, yes. The merchants, all the sailors would come off the ship. And the temple prostitutes would come down to meet them. They would see them come down and they would meet them just like that. And they were totally recognizable. Why? Their heads were not covered and their heads were shaved. And so by these, there were some who were Christians who said, I am saved. I, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had some baggage from their past, as we all do. Right? There are some things that are tweaked in our minds. And that's why God says we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to keep learning. And so what happened is they would come into the local churches with a full display of rebellion on the outside full display of rebellion against God and his gender roles and saying that they were praying and submitting to God. And you see how the incongruity there was. You either looked like an extreme feminist or a temple prostitute. He says, for if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. And what he's saying this is, if she doesn't cover her head, then it, it is a, it's just like she was a prostitute in that culture. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Your statements by your dress, please, I want to make this clear. Your statements by your dress is as clear as if you were saying you're an extreme feminist or a prostitute in that culture. So the question becomes, are you, what Paul is saying, are you the Lord's or not? The Christian would say, of course I'm the Lord's. Then Paul would say to you, then don't disgrace yourself. Hold on to those symbols of femininity. Hold on to that. So one, fulfill God's gender roles because it mirrors the Godhead. It shows the relationship between God and God the, God the Father and God the Son. Number two, because rejection humiliates you. Rejection of these roles humiliates you. 
Number three, fulfill God's gender roles because it realizes your created purpose. Look at verses 7 to 10. He says, For a man ought to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. I'm sorry. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. And so what he's saying is, I am taking a cultural symbol and I am applying it. And he's saying that man is the image and glory of God. All this is saying is that man was made from dirt. You recall from Genesis And when he says he's the glory of God, this is his sphere of sovereignty. That as God created man, he is to be sovereign over the earth. But the woman is the glory of man. And what he's saying is in relationship to that, the woman is supposed to be in submission to the man. Just as the man is in submission to God himself. He says, why? Because man does not originate from women, but women from man. Man was made from the dust of the ground, which he must subdue. Women was made from man, whom she must help. For indeed, man was not created for the women's sake, but women for the man's sake. Made to help man, not inferior in any way. She is to come under his shepherding, loving leadership. She is to be a suitable Helper. Then she says, therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, I don't believe this is a mandate to carry out head coverings today. Rather, what it speaks about is to speak about the cultural symbols of the time to indicate devotion and submission to God as a woman and as her husband and as a wife. Then he says this, this term, he says this phrase, because of the angels, which is quite interesting. He says, women ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What does that mean? Well, well the angels were God's created beings, the seraphim, the cherubim, were God's created beings, the most powerful beings that were created who are under submission. And apparently... God describes it for us that we should, that the women should be submissive. That the most submissive, uh, one commentator says it this way, that the most submissive of all creatures would not be offended by non-submissiveness of another. Fourth, fulfill God's gender roles because it highlights harmony. Look at verses 11 and 12. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. And what he's saying here now is that the way this relationship works is not just the roles, it's the way we work together. That a woman cannot operate, he's saying here, in a marriage apart from a man. And the man cannot operate in a marriage apart from the woman. It was not designed to do so. Brothers and sisters, if you're married, you're not designed to live separate lives. There's to be communication and sharing of lives. There's to be, supposed to be sharing of disappointments and hopes and dreams. There's supposed to be uh, the husbands knowing that, you know what... Wise is the man who consults his wife. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Oh, husbands, 
Don't confess now, please. We're going we're gonna to have a longer service than we need to. How many times have you moved headlong without talking to your wife and it fell apart? Oh, your wives are specifically, that's why the Bible says a helper suitable. Your wives are specifically designed to help you see things that you miss. Amen. You guys are quiet. Dudes, amen. Well, you're like, I won't talk about it. I won't talk about it. Amen. Have you learned this? I've been married 24 years. I'm still learning this. Stupid. Stupid Angelo. That's what I would say. Why didn't I talk to my wife about it? Why am I so hard-headed? Right? Right? No. Mike's like, no, not me. (laughs) Of course. We were made. Women are supposed to help their, their men. Fifth. Fulfill God's gender roles because it is the natural order. And that's the argument of verses 13 to 15. It's not just a created order, but it's the natural order. And he's going to appeal. He's going to talk about hair, which I don't have much of, right? He says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray with her head uncovered? And now he's telling us to think about this. And now he says, this is an interesting phrase. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Now, what does that mean? He uses this term, nature. The word in the Greek really is physis, where we get the word physiology. And so he's saying this, that nature itself lends to the fact that women are supposed to be one way and men are supposed to be in another way. And I got this from a commentary. This is interesting. Men, don't be discouraged, okay? I'm going to just read it. (laughs) This is funny. The male hormone testosterone speeds up the cycle so that men reach the third stage of hair growth, right? Of hair loss, right? They reach this third stage earlier than women. The female hormone estrogen causes the cycle to remain in stage one for a longer time, causing women's hair to grow longer than men's. Women are rarely bald because few ever reach this stage three. Not so with men, right? How many bald guys are in this church? What's up, Manny? Stage four. Stage four. You're stage four of hair loss, okay? This physiology is reflected in most cultures of the world in the custom of women wearing longer hair than men. And what Paul is appealing to is, doesn't even nature itself tell you that there are different roles, different? So what's that hair supposed to be? He says, but if she has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given to her for a covering. This long hair is a glory to display her softness. Her tenderness as a woman. Now, how do you apply this text? This is where the church gets into trouble. Okay, how do you apply this text? This is what everyone wants me to say. This is what everyone wants me to say. Well, what dress should I wear? Should it be this long or this tight? Or uh, can I wear this and can I wear this? Can I wear pants and can I do this? And, or how short can my hair be before I'm unbiblical? 
That's what everyone wants. Well, what is it, Angelo? What is it, Angelo? And the Bible does not give that. Have you noticed that? And neither will I. But here's the principle. You have to know how to apply this, okay? How do you apply this? You want to say, tell me what I could wear and what I can't wear. Tell me what hair I can have or how short, how, what kind of hairstyle I should have. That's not on here, so I, I cannot speak to that. And as a preacher of the Bible, I am to preach everything in Scripture, but I am also to stop where Scripture stops. Does that make sense? And to allow the Holy Spirit to apply it as you see fit. I think I could trust God in this. Right? So how does this work? Here I could say this. Here's the principle that should be in operation. Okay? That at onset of, of, of viewing someone, is it clear that someone is a woman? And is it clear that someone is a man? If you have a hairstyle that is not distinctly feminine or shows loveliness or submissiveness or do you desire to have an appearance that blurs genders and you know a lot of our kids are talking about what's being taught in the schools or having gender fluidity or wants to be another gender see so that's what's happening when you look at someone is it very clear that they're a male or a female or how about this? If men want to dress feminine to show a submissive attitude, that would be wrong. I would say that would be wrong. Or if you wear clothing where if you are a man and you look like a woman, I would say that would be wrong. Why? Because it fails this principle. You look at someone and it doesn't display who you are as God has created you. Or if you're a woman and you look like a man. All this is saying is, when you're dressed in your hairstyle, if you are not readily seen as the gender that you were created as, the Bible says that you are in rebellion against God's design. Adults, parents, singles, youth, make no mistake. A rebellion in appearance is a reflection of rebellion in the heart. Make no mistake. If after you teach on it, and there is still no change, and they keep throwing off God's design for genders, you can be sure that there is rebellion in the heart. Parents, I want to encourage you. It's not cute. It's not cute when your son dresses up in a dress. That's not cute. It's not something to be laughing at. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. No, what it, what it is doing, is it's, you're saying is... The parent is not loving their son enough to tell them, no, that's not what being a man is. Oh, I see these, have you seen these talk shows? I just feel so awful for these young boys who think that they could be girls and they're wanting gender reassignment before they're in the eighth grade. How awful that you don't love your kids enough to allow them or you don't know because you're ignorant and I don't mean that in a mean way. You don't know because you've never heard the gospel. You don't know what the Bible teaches. Praise the Lord that we have it. Amen. God wants men to be men. And women to be women. And that it would be clear in that. God made man in the image of God. Male and female. He created him. Notice in verse 16. 
And this is what Paul says. He says, if one is inclined to be contentious, if you want to still fight about this, you still want to fight about, uh, we have no other practice nor have the churches of God. The thought is this. He says, if after I've taught you five compelling reasons for you to glorify Christ through your glad fulfillment of biblical gender roles and relationships, that one mirrors the Godhead, that, two, that, it, that a rejection of them humiliates them, that you realize your created purpose, that you highlight harmony, and that because it is the natural order, if after all that you still reject God's design and purpose, and you still want to fight, Paul says, I got nothing left for you. I have no more arguments for you. You still want to rebel. He says, you have no leg to stand on. There's no argument in the churches of God. Essentially what he is saying is, if after I've taught all of this, you still reject God, God-given gender roles and relationships, both taught and intrinsic to nature itself, then the issue is very, very clear. You just simply don't want to submit to how God has created the universe and its inhabitants. The whole universe knows, brothers and sisters. The angels know. And yet we have folks who still shake their fist at God. No, I'm not the way God created me. It is a very sad place to be. Is this you or was this you? You can put down your weapons and start by submitting to Christ first. That is the issue. Maybe you're listening online out there. Or you are in here or you're struggling with these gender roles due to past relationships or what schools are teaching you. Maybe you're just a husband who's not, who's not loving his wife because you keep, you keep deferring decisions. You're either lazy by deferring or lazy because you don't want to consult and you just press on. That's how a man shows, by the way. I know this well. Okay. Men who don't want a shepherd, they're lazy either by deferring because they will not make a decision they just keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. They don't make a decision. Or they're lazy because they don't want to talk to their wives and do the hard work of communicating. And they just do it. They just steamroll ahead. That's not fulfilling your roles as men. Maybe you're listening and maybe you've messed up. Look, I, I want to show you something. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. This is beautiful. And we'll end here. 1 Corinthians 6. And verse 9, I love this. There is hope for all of us who've messed up. Either in our roles or in its application and its execution of its roles. Of a man being a man, a woman being a woman, right? Here are people who messed up. The church was full of people who messed up. Verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And now Paul is saying, all of these who stay in this sin, do you not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now he lays it on. If you stay in this sin, it's an indication that your heart has never been transformed by the glory of Christ. But he doesn't leave us there, which is, which is what I love. He says in verse 11, look at the glory. Look at the glory. He says, such were some of you. Oh, I love that. 
Have you messed up? Have you sinned in this? Have you not been the man that you needed to be in the home? Have you not been the wife that you needed to be in the home? He says, such were some of you. You were washed, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Oh, brothers and sisters, the confusion of the gender roles and what we are to do is all over us. It is the air we breathe, but there is clarity in Scripture and there is forgiveness for you and me. Amen? We were created to glorify Him from the beginning. We have all sinned and followed short of the glory of God. And He has given us His Son to die on the cross, to live this holy life, to die, to be buried and resurrected. And He said, if we would but come to Him, not, with a, not by making a deal, not by negotiating, but come to Him with empty hands and trusting only in His Son and repenting of our sins that God will make us a new creation and we will better reflect His image day after day after day after day in our marriages as a single person in our families and in our church. Amen? Father, we pray to you And we thank you. Oh, we thank you for your glory. We thank you that we can help us, help the men to be men, help the women to be women. And Lord, help us to guide our young ones in this culture, in this disgusting pond of our society that mixes it all up. We know that you are, you give us clarity. You can rescue us. You could redeem anyone. Would you do that work? Oh Lord, we pray for the ones who are caught up in mixed and uh, in confused gender roles. We pray that you would rescue them, Lord. Rescue them. And we know that the most important thing is that they would repent to Christ. And we know you could clean anyone up. That's what you did in Corinth. And that's what you're doing with us. Thank you for saving lazy fathers. Thank you for saving unsubmissive wives. Thank you for saving folks who, have, who were homosexuals or fornicators. Thank you for saving all the myriads of myriads of sexual perver- perversions that are there. Thank you for saving us. Help us to live holy lives, lives that are pleasing to you. And may we fulfill your calling on us to image forth your glory in our, um, in our ordered genders. In Jesus' name, amen.